This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome to The Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray, Qualified Nutritionist and Health Editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer. Remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. This week, we're talking plant-powered nutrition. Joining me is Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor. Gemma has worked in medicine for over 16 years, holding a special interest in holistic health, plant-based nutrition, and lifestyle medicine. Through her practice, she has come to understand that body, mind, and soul are not separate, and that it is only in addressing the root causes of stress and disconnection that we can truly heal from the inside out. Welcome to the podcast, Gemma. It's so lovely to have you here. And it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to to talk to you. So I'm going to jump right in and I'd love to start by asking you to share a little bit about your background for anyone who doesn't know you um, and also what drew you to medicine um, in the first place. Wow. So, I mean, that could be a long story, but I'll keep it as brief as I can. I, I always wanted to be a doctor and I know it sounds so corny, but I did always want to help people. And that was my main motivation. And, you know, I've been a doctor now 17 years. I really love it. I still love it to this day. I'm a GP. I'm a senior partner at a busy NHS surgery. I've got nearly 3000 patients and 
the way I see it is that general practice is a way of saving lives in slow motion. So it's what thrills me. It's what gets me up in the morning. I I was disillusioned when I came out of med school because I found that, you know, when I was initially in my training, what I was doing was helping patients with their chronic diseases and watching them gradually decline despite um, my best efforts and following all the guidelines necessary. And I began to realize that there was so much more to health than um, than just providing standard therapies. And, you know, not that they're not that we shouldn't do that. Of course, I'm mm. a big advocate of doing that, but I wanted to help my patients to really help themselves. Yeah. And so I began to look deep into the literature. I began to look at psychological techniques, CBT, solution-focused therapeutic approaches, and of course, nutrition. And in a way, I ended up stumbling upon plant-based nutrition because um, it came about because my husband was running in the London Marathon Mm. and he kept on getting injured. And he wondered whether there was anything he could do to improve his running times other than, um, you know, changing his footwear, um, changing up his um, techniques and so on. And so we decided to look at what the ultra marathon runners do, what these guys that run hundreds of miles at a time do to fuel their bodies. And mm-hmm. so he began, he's not medical by any stretch of the imagination. So you know, he, he read these books like Rich Roll's book, Finding Ultra, um, the book by Scott Jurette, the greatest marathon runner of all time, Brilliant. Born to Run. And he realized that people like him and Brendan Brazier and all these other people, they were all plant-based. So he thought, well, maybe I should give that a go and see what happens. And I was curious but skeptical Mm. I I was watching along thinking what's going to happen here and miraculously at least to my mind he was able to improve his marathon running time by an hour and 10 minutes so he had massively improved his ability to run long distances and fast and I thought well I'm not an athlete my patients aren't athletes is this something that could apply to real life is this something that could apply to chronic diseases And then when I began to delve into the literature available, I realized that it could. And that was the beginning of a massive passion for me, not just for plant-based nutrition, but for really helping my patients to understand how they could potentially have the key to feeling better. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting um, how you kind of, the the experience of your husband going through um, the training and and kind of seeking out uh, different solutions. It seems to me like the idea of, of, dietary changes and dietary habits is something that you were quite open to. Um, And I wonder, have you always been interested in in diet? Has your experience always been a deep knowledge around kind of the influence of food on, on your body? Or is that something that you grew into? I grew into it gradually. So when I, when I was at med school, I didn't really think about it too much. When I was learning about medicine, I learned about the importance of avoiding nutritional deficiencies. Mm. And I learned about essentially chronic diseases mostly and how to deal with them um when I went into work my working life I wasn't looking after my health very well I was having a lot of late nights um night shifts and I was grabbing whatever I could on the ward to eat um my eating habits were sporadic I became sluggish I was Mm -hmm. overweight I was really tired And at that point, I decided I had to make a change to my own personal health. If I was going to help people to get well, I needed to try and walk the talk a little bit. So I decided, okay, now I'm going to focus on my health. So at that time, I, I, I bought into the background hum of carbs are bad. And, you know, yeah. if you just cut the carbs and exercise all the time, then, you know, it will work its way 
you know, and you and you'll lose weight and you'll feel healthy and you'll have mm. more energy and all this stuff. And I did manage to get some great results. So I essentially went on a low carb diet. Um, mm-hmm. I felt healthy. I, you know, I was able to feel more energized. I felt good. Um, but despite all of that, I checked my lipid profile and my lipid profile was raised. I had a raised cholesterol um, and other um, lipids in my bloodstream, which mm. are a marker of cardiovascular disease. It's one of yeah. the main markers we look at uh, to predict risk of heart disease. And in my family, in fact, we have a strong family history of heart disease. My grandfather died suddenly whilst playing tennis. My father, I didn't know this at the time, but he was unfortunately going to pass away as well um, at just 59 from a big heart attack. So I had not managed, even though I looked great on the outside and I felt great, I hadn't really managed to combat my risk of chronic disease. Mm. And I thought at the time that perhaps that was my genetic destiny and that you can't, you know, you can't fix everything. And I know now that you still can't fix everything, but Mm -hmm. I, I was a little bit more fatalistic about it. Yeah. Fast forward to then when my husband ran the marathon and got the results, I tried a plant-based diet. And after just a month, my cholesterol um, had finally got into the normal range after many years of of um, trying different things. Um, and also on a personal level, I'm, as I said, I'm not much of an athlete, but I, I have been running a little bit over the years over the last 10 years or so and the knee pains that I used to get in my 20s just completely disappeared um, as well so I mean that's that's a lovely personal testimony I I love telling that story I know that that's an anecdote and people look to doctors for science so luckily I have nearly 600 references in the book to to back up some of these personal experiences which definitely help but yeah for me it became like really beneficial personally because I'd finally been able to um, deal with my own family history in a way that that felt really positive to me and I wanted to share that not only with my patients but of course with the world at large through my book as well. Absolutely and I know you you mentioned some of those papers and studies that you referenced throughout um, your book and I guess you know, there are many reasons behind why someone might um, be plant curious or, or interested in seeking out a plant forward diet from, you know, ethical to environmental factors, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think now more than ever, we're hearing a lot of things about plant-based diets coming out through, through the media and through the research. But I'd love to hear about some of the health research that made you think in particular hey, there, there might actually be something to this plant thing. What kind of research, what kind of um, chronic conditions are we talking about? So there are a number of different chronic conditions that could be improved with plant-based nutrition. And um, there's there's a lot of data. I, I can't go through it all, but I think the things that stand out to me that I remember reading initially was looking through the Adventist health studies, um, which are studies on healthy populations in the US to see whether plant-based nutrition had an impact on their health. Turned out that they had a naturally lower BMI when they were uh, in the vegan cohort. Um, they had a vastly reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. Um, heart disease risk goes down. There were some great studies looking at heart disease risk and um, plant-based eating, a couple of randomized controlled trials with where patients had massively improved their symptoms of things like angina when they were able to um, adopt a plant-based diet. Um, The general research on cancer is really encouraging. The World Cancer Research Fund tells us that fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes are the cornerstone of a cancer-preventing diet. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Type 2 diabetes is something that I see an awful lot in my practice. And that's something that can massively be improved through plant-based nutrition. You can really increase your insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a great study I read that showed that even without weight loss, diabetics who've been on insulin, type 2 diabetics, I should say, that have been on insulin for many years, were actually in some cases able to completely come off their insulin because of the shift in what they were eating, regardless of how uh, many calories they ate, which I thought was really fascinating. That's fascinating because I think a lot of times when it comes to type 2 diabetes, the kind of universal message that we get is, you know, until you lose weight, um, you know, there's not a lot that I can do for you except medicate perhaps. But that's really interesting, the fact that you're seeing improvements even without a massive shift in weight. So there must be something metabolic going on there. Exactly. And even without any shift in weight, according to this study, they actually made the participants eat more food, more than they wanted. They were too full and they made them eat more salads, and more, <laughs> more more chickpeas and more of all those things because they wanted to make sure that they, they, they maintained the same weight. And incredibly, they had some amazing results for their insulin sensitivity. And in my practice as well, I see it with regard to hormonal health. This is something that's not talked about enough. Many women really struggle with heavy periods, with fibroids, with endometriosis with with, Mm -hmm. um, menopausal symptoms and plant-rich diets and plant-based diets have been shown to be beneficial for reducing period pains, shrinking fibroids, um, improving endometriosis and also improving the side effects of menopause such as hot flushes. Um, So again, I mean, I don't want to say this is a panacea for everything. Obviously it's not. Mm. There's there's lots of factors involved, but the science is clear that it can really have a big impact in, in a lot of cases. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what would be a really interesting distinction to make, often the terms plant-based and vegan can be used quite interchangeably. Um, and even, I mean, you've heard me say, uh, just just in speaking to plant curious, plant forward, you know, all these different plant terms. So yeah. I wonder if you could speak a little bit on, first of all, the difference between what you're talking about when you're saying plant-based versus versus vegan, and then we can kind of get into that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something really important to cover because lots of people get really confused by it. Mm. Um, so if you identify as vegan, then what you're identifying as is somebody who um, does as, as best they can limit and avoid harm to animals. Yeah. And so that can, of course, be on your plate by avoiding eating animals and animal products, but in other aspects of life as well. So you may uh, choose to avoid leather um, and you know other sort of animal-based products, um, cleaning products, for example, that may um, potentially test on animals. So there's a lot more to it um, if you are vegan compared to if you're eating a plant-based diet. If you are eating plant-based, some people mean that they're just eating mostly plants, and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily mean that they're excluding all animal products. Um, when you see something that says it's plant-based in the supermarket, it will not contain animal products, however. Yeah. Um, when someone says that they're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, uh, generally speaking, it means that they're eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, uh, herbs and spices, nuts and seeds, and uh, essentially avoiding um, animal products on their plate and generally avoiding processed foods as well. In the scientific literature, if you're looking at a study, and they say that their participants had a whole food plant-based diet, they will have excluded all animal products. And generally speaking, it would all just be um, healthy whole plant foods. 
while while there's some clarity there in terms of you know plant based versus versus um, vegan, I think as you say, there's still a little bit of of disparity and kind of nuance between um, where you're where you're seeking out those terms. So I know that when a lot of um, health practitioners often are plant based, um, and you're referring to the health benefits and and the literature, it's not a it's not necessarily um, an exclusive club in that you can't be plant-based and still, you know, enjoy some meat and fish every so often. Um, whereas I think it can get a little bit confusing then sometimes when you're going into the supermarket and you're seeing a lot of um, even, you know, ready meals and packaged foods kind of plant-based, plant-based. And, and sometimes you can kind of have that crossover in your mind of thinking, oh, well, you know, it's said that plant-based is healthy, so I'm eating, I'm eating plant-based. But we do tend to see a difference in the literature um, when you do kind of look at what the actual diet um, of these individuals were in those kind of vegan or plant-based studies. Um, you know, the difference between vegan or plant-based doesn't necessarily mean healthy. It's really, as you say, whole foods. You can eat, you know, you, you can avoid animal products and you can eat plant foods, but that isn't necessarily equating to, to what you're saying we're seeing in the research in terms of the health benefits when it comes to cardiovascular disease and, and type 2 diabetes and things. Yeah, it's, it's difficult for people to interpret. You're right. And I think when, when we're looking at broad population based data like the Adventist Health Study, um, like Epic Oxford cohort studies, things like that, you're looking at people who've answered dietary questionnaires based on what they eat. Mm. And even within those populations, there'll be slightly different patterns. Um, the Adventist population tends to be generally more healthy because mm. it's part of their religious um, uh, sort of requirements to fuel their body as and think of it almost like as a temple. So they would uh, they would um, have more of a health focus in mind. Whereas with the Epic Oxford studies and when they interview vegans and vegetarians, they're just literally you know asking what they eat, and mm. they may not always be eating healthy foods. Um, there's plenty of vegan junk foods around these days as well. Um, and I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that that they won't necessarily contribute to greater health outcomes. You speak about introducing some of your patients to um, these plant-based foods and plant-based way, way of eating. I'm really curious about, I guess, two things. First of all, how some of your patients might have reacted when you started talking about diet and, and nutrition. And then secondly, you know, how they got on, what kind of results you saw. Yeah, so it's it's really exciting to be able to talk about nutrition with my patients because what many people don't realize is that when they come to the doctors, a lot of people really are excited to learn about ways that they can improve their health. It doesn't always happen. You know, you have to pick people carefully, but I think it's important and it's my responsibility where possible to share the information that they need to help them to greater health. But yeah. the most important thing I would say in my consultations is listening. I need to listen to what my patient wants, what they're suffering from, what they're going through. And if and when they have the mental bandwidth to take on any changes in their life, if they if they want to um, make some shifts to improve their health, then I'm there for them to talk it through. And, and that's really exciting because you know, sometimes it takes just one phone call and somebody's life is changed forever. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, for other people, they need a little bit more persuasion. They may need a little bit more time. 
um, or they may not be interested at all in looking at um, plant-based approaches or, or even dietary or lifestyle approaches in any way. So really it's about, you know, presenting information as and when I can and then helping people if they're interested. There's no point, there's no point asking them and if they say no, keeping on you know, pushing the point because that, that doesn't help anybody. Most important thing really is to listen. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess, you know, it's, it's just another kind of tool in your kit. Absolutely, if, if you will, in in terms of a way of of offering help where where people might want it. Yeah, and, and it's a really good tool as well because you see results fast. Often, like yeah. I've had patients with high blood pressure, and you know they make a change in their diet, and within days they see a massive improvement in their blood pressure readings. And wow. so that that is is wonderful because you can see something objective where you are definitely seeing an improvement which could then impact on your medication regime you can find yourself being able to reduce your medications mm. uh, and that that change can happen within days and weeks not months and years so yeah it can be really really life changing yeah and so i are there any are there any types of people then that this way of eating may not be suitable for um, so I know we're talking about all of the benefits, um, but are there any particular cases that you might not be considering plant-based food? Well, I think, firstly, I would never want to undermine anyone's personal experience. And yeah. you know, many people may have tried eating more plant-based and said that it wasn't for them. And that's that's okay. Um, the biggest problems I think I've seen for people when they embark upon more plant-rich diets is uh, the potential for bloating or flatulence when they first start. Yeah. Um, and which is actually really common for a lot of people because essentially your gut bugs are not necessarily used to eating all these fiber-rich foods. Mm. And, I, you know... In, in that sense, I'd say it's a little bit like going to the gym. And I, I, you know, I'm not a big gym goer. In fact, I've never had a gym membership. But I know that when people go to the gym, they lift weights. And yeah. they don't tend to start with the heaviest weights. And I think, you know, using that analogy for the gut, if you're suddenly eating all this extra fiber, all this extra um, you know, chickpeas, lentils, beans, you're suddenly going to notice that your gut bugs haven't caught up with you and you're going to be experiencing some uh, gastrointestinal discomfort. So I'd say take it slow if that's you, uh, scale right back and very gradually increase the amount of these fiber-rich foods that you're eating. And in that way, it's a bit like taking your gut to the gym because it has its tremendous health benefits for your gut, for your immune system and the way that that functions as well. Um, but sometimes you have to take it slow. Sometimes it helps to rinse your lentils and chickpeas 
and things like that first. Um, and sometimes it helps to um, to soak them and then rinse them, depending on how mm. you know how bloated you feel. So so there's a number of different things. I think another another thing that I've noticed is that especially when it comes to um, restriction. This is something that I, I think is an important thing to cover. Some people have a plant-based diet because they want to lose weight or they've had issues with um, wanting to restrict food patterns before. And I think for those people, it's really important to look at why you're doing it and if it's right for you. Um, some people find that when they embark upon a change in diet, then they feel they have to restrict themselves. And then that can be negative psychologically. Mm. Some people have found that adopting a plant-based diet has actually been really helpful for them. Um, I've spoken to many patients who've had things like um, bulimia, for example, or even mm. anorexia. And they found that actually having a uh, switching to a plant-based diet allowed them to focus on something outside of themselves and their food restriction. It allowed them mm. to focus on whether it be, I don't know, animal compassion or environmental concerns they were able to then switch what they were feeling and sort of move forward in a really healthy way but that doesn't happen to everybody so mm -hmm. if you have a history of wanting to restrict your food um, and having a, a troubled relationship with food then just make sure you're thinking really carefully why am I embarking on this how do I want to feel um, you know if I want to feel abundant, then great. I'm going to look up new recipes. I'm going to find new great plant-based swaps. I'm going to enjoy this journey. Um, but if you're starting to feel as though that's not happening for you, then just take a step back and, and look at your why. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, a really good message. And I think it kind of points on, on something that I know I observed back in my clinic days of, um, you know, there seems to be different types of people when it comes to their their relationship with food. And I think often a lot of that can um, spring from childhood, but also kind of a lot of the messaging that we get around food as we kind of walk through our life. And I think there are the, the types of people that can be told, okay, this is everything that's really healthy and great and it's going to give you loads of energy and support your immune system. You want this many cups of this and that many cups of that and a handful of this and, and they can roll with it. Um, and then there's, there's, there's other people that um, have a more emotional relationship with food um, and sometimes you know have a lot of that that dieting kind of messaging that that can that can affect the way that, um, that we, we adopt um, a new lifestyle particularly things around plant-based plant-based eating and I think something that I always think around the plant-based in particular is that restriction really doesn't work when, when it comes to this kind of diet, not that restriction works with, with any type of diet, but I think sometimes if you're eating, you know, some more calorie dense foods that you might find in an animal based diet, you can maybe get away with it for a little bit longer. But when it comes to plant based nutrition, you really need to be getting your calories in order to kind of fulfill those those nutrient needs as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people sometimes actually don't realize when they start upon a plant-based journey is they think, oh, should I be eating this much food? But yes. actually, you know, yes, if you're hungry, eat. <laughs> mm, absolutely. That's such a good message if you're hungry, eat. Um, no, that, I mean, that's brilliant. And then in terms of um, some patients that you have recommended 
plant-based eating and things like that, you know, what has their, their experience been? Um, I'm always really curious, you know, what are the, the challenges that people face most when they're kind of coming maybe from a background of, of an, you know, a meat and two veg situation or, or having grown up on, on an animal focused diet? You know, what are the, what are the difficulties and challenges that, that people are experiencing? So I think there are a few and my patients have actually been my greatest teachers on this because they've actually come up with some amazing tips for me to share with other people. So um, my I had an elderly gentleman and you mentioned the meat and two veg. That's exactly what he would always eat. Mm. And for him, like making a shift almost seemed impossible uh, because he was so used to the foods that he loved. Um, but bless him, you know, he was in his late 80s. But what he did was he made a little spreadsheet and he decided to uh, start learning to cook a few items. And then a few other items, I suggested a few healthy ready meal options that he could use um, as he was getting used to this change. And you know, he said he said to me that that really helped him to figure out like what he was going to buy each week and then what mm. he was going to make. And it didn't have to be fancy. You know, he started out with a jacket, potato and baked beans to start with. And, you know, um, there was also some really great healthy ready meals at his local supermarket that he got into that, that helped him figure out, oh, these are the kinds of things I like. And then I will mm. start making these. And he managed to bring his blood pressure down brilliantly. And he said to me, it's never too late, is it, doctor? And I said, no, it's never too late. Um, And he was such an inspiration because, and that's another reason why I wrote the book, because I wanted the recipes in the book to be really straightforward, comfort foods, foods that you can easily get the ingredients for in your local supermarket, Mm -hmm. and hopefully foods that remind you of your meat and two veg type favorite meals um, Mm -hmm. in a way that that makes it easy for people. Um, Simple swaps is great. So you know, if you if you love a chicken curry, then start you know looking into some decent chickpea curry recipes. Mm. If you if you're really into spaghetti bolognese, then you can start off with maybe some of the meat replacement mints, and then you can sort of add in gradually more lentils to your bolognese, so you, you yeah. end up with a delicious lentil based bolognese. And it's little things like that where you can gradually make some swaps and know that you're doing good for yourself and your body, um, as well as the environment. Absolutely. And I think coming back to what you were saying about, um, you know, some gastrointestinal issues being quite, well, I don't want to say quite common, but definitely a a concern that I think people people raise when we're talking about including more plant foods and fibres into the diet. And I think, um, you know, really seeking out different recipes and understanding kind of how to cook some of some of those plant foods correctly in terms of like the lentils and the beans and proper preparation um, is really important for mitigating some of those kind of, I guess, not not necessarily uh, common symptoms, but more so some of the transitional things that, that you're, you can experience as your gut bacteria are kind of getting used to that, that different way of eating. Exactly. It really helps. And if anyone's interested in learning more, there's actually a really great information leaflet on that very topic. Um, if you just go to the Plant Based Health Professionals UK website. So oh. you know, if, you, if you've been struggling and wondering, then there's uh, lots of tips on there as well. Yeah, because there's so many tips and tricks in terms of like, do you soak your beans? Do you boil your beans? Do you add some kombu to the, to the broth to kind of help uh, reduce, reduce those um, additives? Yeah. Um, well, you've just said all of them right there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess as well, I, I wonder if you've experienced this with working um, with patients, because again, I think um, 
sometimes there's uh, I guess a draw when you're thinking plant-based that you think salad so you kind of jump to a lot of kind of raw lettuce leaves and raw vegetables and things again a large proportion if you're taking in one time can be a little bit on uncomfortable to eat but I hear you talking a lot about more almost comforting style style foods and how they can be maybe a good introduction so kind of looking at how your diet is right now in terms of well do I eat lasagna do I eat curry um do I eat pho you know what kind of foods do I eat and then looking for a plant-based recipe alternative it seems like a much kind of more comfortable transition into into opening yourself to some more of those foods Absolutely. And that's, that's what, that's what I focused on in the recipes in my book is to make it really, really sort of comforting foods. I mean, you know, the idea maybe on a hot day, it's great to have a salad and, you know, everybody, most people like salad on a hot day, but people aren't going to want salads all the time. And yeah. that's not what plant-based eating is all about. You know, you don't have to have salads with every meal. In fact, you can have amazing plant-rich meals uh, where, you know, they, they look a lot like what you'd normally have on a you know, a, a Sunday roast, for example, um, just with some slight tweaks. And then I guess coming over to um, some of the the backlash that I think sometimes we hear a little bit about plant-based diet. And again, an area that there's just so much, so much conversation and, and noise around. But I wonder, do you ever get questions from your patients about, you know, if, is is it okay to eat plant-based? Do I need to take supplements? Um, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, first up, I have to say a supplement with B12 is really important. So mm-hmm. if you're deciding on a plant-based diet, you must take a B12 supplement. Yeah. B- B12 is a vitamin that's made by microbes. Um, and those microbes tend to live in soil. So you're not going to get that vitamin unless you eat animal products that have eaten say grass from soil or untreated water which is where you'd get it if you were having a grass-fed cow interestingly most of the meat that we eat in the uk the vast majority of it is factory farmed and so those cows and chickens and pigs will have had vitamin b12 supplemented feed Mm. so the feed that they're given is supplemented with b12 and then you're eating their muscles so really when you're on a plant-based diet you're essentially cutting out the middle well, the middle cow or the middle chicken um, <laughs> to get your B12 that way. Yeah. Um, so yes, but it is important. B12 is an important vitamin. You don't really need very much of it, but you do need it. And so I would suggest a supplement with that um, mm-hmm. for anybody that's uh, completely plant-based, but also most of the people in the world who are B12 deficient are omnivorous. Um, yeah. And so think about having a B12 supplement or at least checking your B12 levels. If you are over the age of 50, if you have diabetes and you're on medications, if you're on uh, stomach acid suppressing medications, for example, all these things can reduce the absorption of B12 in our diet. So it's not just something that we worry about with um, a plant-based approach. With plant-based approaches, you're going to have an abundance of many other vitamins, which is wonderful, which is why it can be such a healthy addition to your diet. But the other thing I think about um, as a key nutrient is um, vitamin D. Yeah, vitamin D is something that you know we we generally make through our skin through sunlight exposure, but we're mostly indoors, um, and it's hard to get through food anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you're on a plant based diet, I would say you know apart from browned mushrooms um, or other fortified foods, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to necessarily get much vitamin D unless you take a supplement or you're in the sunshine for a long time. So check your levels if you need to. Otherwise, take a, B, a vitamin D supplement as well. 
Um, and, you know, that's it, really. I think the only other thing I, I probably would mention is um, omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. Um, you can get those in abundance in flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds and walnuts. If you want ready-made long-chain omega-3 fatty acids like you would get from fish, then you can think about an algae oil supplement as well. Uh, That's where the fish get them from. And if you're having an algae oil supplement, uh, you are avoiding the microplastics, uh, the the, um, heavy metals, dioxins, PCBs, all of the industrial pollutants that unfortunately the fish have to deal with in the oceans because of human um, industry. But um, yeah, I think... Overall, I think the message should be that that having a lovely, varied, healthy plant-rich diet, you don't really need to worry about most nutrients. Most nutrients you're getting in abundance, but just be sure to take your B12 and think about your vitamin D levels and um, and your omega threes. Definitely, that's that's really really great advice. And I think you you touched on an interesting point there, actually, which I'd love to explore with you um, because. It does sometimes come up, I think, when we talk about plant-based nutrition and plant-based diets, the the idea that if you require a supplement, then it can't, it surely can't be a healthy diet because something that you would require supplements for, um, you know, isn't natural or, or whatever that may be. But I think you touched on a really interesting point in that actually the reality of of our food system and our nutritional system in this day and age is that regardless of of the diet that you're consuming, in a lot of ways, a lot of our food is being fortified. And what we see reflected in the research as well is not necessarily a direct correlation with you know, plant-based diets requiring added nutrients, but actually we're seeing a lot of research showing that people who are eating an omnivorous diet um, also can require supplements and have certain deficiencies. So I think it's a really important conversation in general in that, you know, maybe we're moving to a point in, in time that it's not necessarily about the, the perfect diet that, that supplies all of the nutrients that you need because we have all of these other factors like um, agricultural um, issues, soil depletion that we're seeing kind of less nutrients coming through the fruits and vegetables that we are consuming. You know, I don't think we have as much of a guarantee as we may think or we, we at least used to in terms of, well, if I eat all of my fruits and vegetables and my meats and my fish that I'm get, getting everything that I need. So I just think that's a really interesting thing thing to highlight in the context of of the plant-based discussion that a lot of us do often require um added nutrients regardless of of the dietary dietary pattern that that we may follow particularly i'm thinking so living in the northern hemisphere i'm thinking a lot about vitamin d for example where you know our main source is the sun and the reality is that particularly during the winter months a lot of us don't just don't get that no you're right and there's so much that i could unpick from what you've just said and i love i love the comment that you've made um I could touch on conservation agriculture. I could touch on on how we our relationship with the sun. I could touch on all of this stuff. But I suppose the bottom line is you're right. There are many key nutrients that it's worth looking at with all sorts of dietary patterns. And many of our foods are fortified anyway without our knowledge. Mm. Um, and so you're right. I think um, dietary patterns do evolve over time um, mm. as do the nutrients that we need in some respects. And 
when we grow food in depleted soils, we set ourselves up for problems. Uh, Topsoil depletion is a big issue. Mm. Um, and the way that we can try and come back from that is with conservation agriculture, um, where we stop tilling the soil, we stop breaking up these amazing fungal networks that hold the soil together, that then you know end up being washed away with the next rainfall. So mm. yes, there's there's lots to think about there. But I think perhaps you know if I if I focus just on what we're eating. A plant-based diet gives you a huge amount of different phytonutrients, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, um, plenty of protein, plenty of carbohydrates, plenty of healthy fats, polyunsaturated fatty acids. So, you know, when you're eating a plant-rich, um, well-planned diet, you're getting all these things that you need and hopefully also much better health as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fighting back the temptation to just go on a complete tangent about agriculture with you, because I think it's such an interesting conversation. And often it's, it's really challenging to, to isolate the conversation of health and diet, because there's so many other factors that do, in, in reality, impact it, as you say, with environmental factors and food production and all of these different things. And even, you know, now we're seeing a lot in the research, I say now, I mean, in the last uh, several decades, but now we're seeing in the research all of the psychological factors that even influence our ability to absorb nutrients and, you know, our gut factors that influence our ability to absorb nutrients. So all the internal factors that, you know, can, can translate to different um, nourishment, even from two people eating the same diet. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh God, I'm so passionate about this. I could talk about this all day. Um, but yeah. And, and also just our base metabolism, you could have, you know, 10 people standing in a row and one of them would have to be running 10 Ks three times a week to have the same base metabolism as another one, even though they're eating the same food. So, you know, uh, uh, food availability, um, yes. you know, food poverty, that there is a huge, there's a huge amount of different factors involved. But hopefully if we can make plant-rich foods accessible, cheap, easy to make, and hopefully, you know, good for families, bulk, uh, bulk cooking, we're, we're onto a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, the more I, the more I talk about foods and nutrition and um, cooking and health and everything with, you know, uh, different experts, the more I start thinking, you know, are we actually asking the wrong questions around health? Do we need to update the way we talk about diet and the questions that we're asking, as, as you say, to include some of these some of these other factors. Um, I think we really do. We really do. And I see this in my clinic. You know, mm. I see patients that are struggling each week and they, they have to use um, you know, the food bank to get enough food to feed their family. And I think mm. you know, for people who in this position, of which there are many, you know, mm. me giving a lecture on the importance of chickpeas is going to just go way over their head and then not be at all relevant. So yeah. for me, I really try to make the message as relevant to everybody as much as I can. Mm. Um, and hopefully if we can educate educate more um, around how to cook and how to how to bulk cook that would be great but also on a on a on a population level on a on a um, policy level you know we really need to ask our governments to prioritize conservation agriculture um, subsidies for healthy foods like fruits and vegetables um, and these are the things I think that will make a difference to many families lives absolutely and it's something that I really I really liked um, when you mentioned kind of ready meals and stuff when you were talking about your your patient earlier because you know 
the reality is that it is a very privileged position to even be able to be sitting here and debating over which vegetable is best and, you know, where should I... They're all good. They're all good. (laughs) They're all good. Um, (laughs) But, you know, where should I, where should I buy uh, my, my quinoa and my um, eggs and my, my this and my that. Whereas, you know, the reality is that for, for a lot of people, access to any food, never mind nutritious. And then the next step of, you know, the only food that is affordable is, is often ultra processed food. And so I think it's, it's very refreshing when we are having um, these kind of conversations to, to bring in that part that, okay, you know what, a ready meal, it's not the, it's not the most ideal thing in the world. It's never going to compare to a fresh, locally sourced, handmade stew. Um, but there is a place, it's still more nutritious than some alternatives. You know, there's like buying a packet of, of you know, white spaghetti. Okay, there's, there's healthier alternatives. But actually that with a can of beans and maybe a can of chopped tomatoes, something like that, that can still make a very nutritious meal. And, you know, we, we have to start where we're at as well. 100%. 100% I totally agree and I, I say this all the time um, you know I think we have to have these conversations to recognize the privilege wherever we have it mm. and you know many people have the privilege to buy all organic and you know all posh foods where they want to yeah. go uh, but that's not everybody and it's certainly not all of my patients and so I my aim is really to make plant-based nutritional uh, sort of approaches accessible for everybody on my website I've got all this free information um, on all these different diseases because I want people to be able to click on something as long as they have the funds for internet access they can access yeah. that um, and the book as well. You can go to your local library and ask them to, to order the book in Plant Power Doctor and you'll have recipes, you'll have everything you need to get you started and it won't have to cost you a penny. That's amazing. Um, so the, the resources are available. And just to kind of touch just on what you mentioned around organic, because I do know that that comes, that comes up a lot. Um, yes. But just to add that actually in the research, when, when we look at what it says there, okay, yes, there are some benefits to organic, but when it comes to eating your, your fruits and your vegetables and getting that good stuff in, it's still a million times more important and healthier for you to still eat conventional produce, whether that's frozen or, or canned or fresh or whatever, than to avoid it because you can't afford the cost of organic. So oh, I just nice. wanted to, uh, I, I see you nodding there, and but I just, for anyone who's who may be wondering that, I think it's so important to hone in that point because there's still a lot of nutritional benefits coming in and importance of including those foods in your diet. Absolutely. And a lot of the population, or in fact, all of the population based data that we have on the benefits of fruits and vegetables comes from people who've eaten conventionally grown foods. Mm. Um, So please don't limit your fruits and vegetables because you couldn't afford organic. Um, I would suggest getting as many as you can. And you know, we, as I say, we have a lot of data to suggest that it's really beneficial wherever it comes from. I think maybe the main focus, if people have the mental bandwidth to think about where it comes from, the main focus should be looking at conservation agriculture and how you can support your local farmers with that, because that's not always organic um, based on various certification practices, but um, it can be, and it certainly does minimise the use of pesticides and things like tillage, which is important, as I say, for maintaining the integrity of the soil. But otherwise, just 
buy your fruits and veggies frozen canned wherever you can yeah just get them in that's that's a really good point though actually in terms of so you're suggesting that you know if you do have the the privilege or or the bandwidth to be kind of taking that extra consideration beyond nutrition in terms of where you are getting your products um supporting local is is a good place to start I think so. And also, as I say, conservation, because uh, when, when someone is, is using conservation agriculture, they're minimizing the use of pesticides anyway. And yeah. they're also maintaining more of the soil structure and integrity, which is important for maintaining good topsoil and the best nutrients from the soil. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I wanted to get on to a few of our um, kind of quick fire uh, questions to get a little bit of your experience. I'm ready. <laughs> so I've been raised on an omnivorous diet um, and the idea of, you know, moving to a more plant-based way of eating is almost like a paradigm shift in and of itself. Um, what can we do to make the transition towards plants less overwhelming? So what's one or two things that we can do to start there and not just kind of get completely consumed with, oh my God, there's so much information. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, obviously get the book, that helps. But (laughs) apart from that, um, I'd say maybe think about one type of meal. So say you want to focus on breakfast, you know, you can think, okay, what can I make that's plant-based? You can say, well... I'll have um, I'll have porridge with extra flax seeds and chia seeds if I want, and maybe some added berries and a coconut yogurt on top. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'll have a sort of a healthy um, whole grain cereal option, or maybe I'll make plant-powered pancakes, or maybe I'll make a plant-powered smoothie. And yeah. so if you maybe just focusing on breakfast to start with, that's quite nice because you can think about options that you can keep at home that are really handy and that don't require too much thought. And then you've already sorted out one meal of your day without thinking about it too much. Um, maybe look at what plant milk you like. Uh, mm-hmm. That can be a nice place to start. Many people um, like to experiment with all the different plant milks that are available to find their favourite for tea, find their favourite for coffee, find their favourite for um, cooking or you know making sauces or whatever it is. Um, and simple swaps, I already mentioned, you know, thinking about what's my favourite meal, how can I, um, you know, make it more plant filled what plants can I add into this to start with to to make it more healthy for me and just as enjoyable um and that's a really great way of doing it there's so many different um ways I mean some people love the idea of doing veganuary because they think well I'm going to commit to a month and I've got these emails and I've got all these updates and I've got this community of support other people like doing um like the OMD a campaign, which was actually by um, James Cameron, who made Terminator and Avatar and his wife, Susie Cameron. They did the one meal a day where yeah. you just have one plant based meal a day um, and whatever that is, breakfast, lunch or dinner. Uh, Meatless Mondays by the McCartneys. That's another good one. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so many. It's just basically about finding something that fits your lifestyle as best you can so that you can maintain that as a habit and begin to enjoy it. And mm-hmm. as I say, make that an, a sort of an abundant thing that you can really start to enjoy much more of in your diet rather than feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the way you're describing it there brings across quite, you know, a, a positive and, and uplifting message to me in that, you know, you don't need to, if you're curious about 
plant-based diets and you know you're you're interested in what you you're hearing today and you're like oh that sounds interesting you don't have to make any big proclamations about this is who I am now this is what I do <laughs> um, no. you don't have to forego your your steak and chips uh, just because you tried a plant-based burger um, but rather you can kind of lean into it and and make it a little bit of a discovery and 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 try new things and see what makes you excited and see what doesn't and and kind of play around with things um, exactly you've summed it up perfectly that's exactly how I'd love for people to feel and you know there is I mean the World Health Organization does say to us you know look processed meats are a class one carcinogen we know that they are cancer causing uh i think the um association on clinical nutrition uh, said that we have to have about less than 70 grams a day of um processed meats or red meats and then you know maybe one one sausage would probably max that out already yeah. in a day so maybe think of it as perhaps condomeat like when you know when before you might think of meat as being like the central thing maybe think of it as your little condomeat like maybe you have a little bit of it um and you know you can feel good about that i think well you know i'm not giving something up if i don't feel i can that's fine maybe i'll just have it as a condomeat and then you know you're still improving the you know situation with the environment you you know redam- you know you, you're doing all these things um but just making it easier on yourself Absolutely. By the way, I love that term, condomies. I'm definitely going to <laughs> take that <laughs> one. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you know, I, I'm conscious that I've come into the quickfire questions, but there's just so much that I want to ask you from, from what you said, because it just talking about the the research that, that we know to be true around kind of some of the, the carcinogens that we're seeing um, through the consumption of, of highly processed meats, um, and I think often a question that comes up then around plant-based is, you know, what's the deal with these plant-based meat alternatives and the plant-based proteins? Um, and again, I know we kind of touched on the the junk food versus the whole food plant-based approach, but maybe if you wouldn't mind discussing a little bit about some of those those protein sources that you might lean on around a process a plant-based diet because I think there's there's that distinction between you know your nuts your beans your legumes then maybe some of your traditional plant proteins like the the tofu the tempeh and then I kind of think of the the additional uh category where you're getting your your meat-free sausages and your meat-free burgers and and things like that you know are these things that can be brought in as part of a healthy diet do you recommend you know can we lean on them a little bit should we be avoiding them altogether but what's the deal with that well it depends on you as a person so a healthy whole food plant-based diet is generally all the things you've already listed, tofu, tempeh, pulses, whole grains, vegetables, fruits, herbs and spices, nuts and seeds. Mm. But you can fit meat alternatives into a healthy diet. And I think it's just about finding something that is on your path, wherever it might be towards a healthier you. So, you know, there are some great mushroom based sausages out there, which are delicious and, you know, much healthier than the uh, processed meat um, sausages that you can buy. So that's a lovely swap that you can make and know that you're doing something great for your body and the environment. Mm. Um, You know, when it comes to other replacement meats, I think you just have to know a little bit about what you're replacing with. So, if you had a normal beef burger, then you'll be having heme iron, which is um, which oxidizes easily and is 
postulated to be one of the reasons why red meat may be more likely to be cancer causing. Mm. Um, you've got substances like new 5GC, which is a, a carcinogenic compound. When you cook that uh, barbecue meat, you're releasing heterocyclic amines, which are also cancer causing. That doesn't happen when you're cooking, uh, barbecuing vegetables. So mm. you know, th- there's a number of different mechanisms that where, where processed and, and other meats can potentially have those detrimental effects especially when barbecued that doesn't apply to even the most unhealthy plant-based burger alternatives yeah that being said when you're having a you know a meat like burger that's not meat um you are having something that is processed and that has a high salt content and that still contains saturated fat from coconut oil so You know, it's not as healthy as having a bean burger, but I would say on balance, it is healthier than having a traditional beef burger. And I think, again, kind of feeding into what you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, trying not to have the mindset that, okay, this is a direct substitute. And now instead of regular burgers, I can just have have these meat alternative burgers. But let's be honest, sometimes it's nice to have an option, a pinch. Some of these... Meat alternatives actually taste really, really good, and it's nice to to try them out sometimes. But the idea that they they shouldn't be that foundational piece then to kind of look at the whole picture. Yes, it's about starting where you're at and then going hopefully in the right direction towards greater health without being too judgmental with yourself, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Giving yourself a little bit of compassion and a little bit of time to kind of try these new things. and Yeah, and find what works for you. And, and it is worth even making these small shifts. And I don't want people to think that they have to go vegan. There was a study, you know, last year, in fact, 2020, there was a great study in the BMJ. It was a meta-analysis of lots of different studies And what they found was that even by increasing plant protein instead of animal protein by just 3%, Hmm. there was an overall 5% lower all-cause mortality in this huge population of people, which means that essentially even a very small increase in plant protein over animal protein can have lots of benefits in reducing your risk of all causes of death um, or I say all causes of premature death because we all die eventually obviously yeah. <laughs> but it's the idea that it can make a big difference to the quality and quantity of life. I, I read that study I love when I love when we get a good study so I just want to I'm going to a- finish by asking you a little bit of a wild card question but we are BBC Good Food and we do appreciate the joy of cake and I always like to ask the guests on on this podcast Um, what their favorite kind of go-to cake or bake is because I think sometimes when from the outside in we can kind of look at the the health experts and the health professionals and think oh my god they just sit on their mountaintop and eat avocados and organic (laughs) greens (laughs) and so I think it's really nice to hear um, you know that that we eat cake as well sometimes and um, yes I do eat cake. <laughs> I, love, I love the expression there. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> I do. I like cake very much. Um, so my favourite, I think it's lemon drizzle cake. I really like a lemon drizzle. Um, yeah. Just so, you know, so zesty and sweet and moist. I love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, lemon drizzle is probably my favourite. Um, I also like a good Victoria sponge cake sometimes as well. Very nice. 
I like that. I like it. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be here and for sharing your wonderful experience and and insights with us. Um, You can find out more about Gemma as well as links to her book, The Plant Power Doctor, on our podcast page at bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.